And you are listening to the WOKV Spotlight on the Congressional Race in District 4. My name is Kevin Rayfus. We are joined now in studio by Ms. Deborah Katzpischel. How are you today? I'm doing well. Appreciate you joining us here, WOKV. I know this is, uh, you had said you had been up all night, so we really appreciate you making the extra effort and coming in today. Thank you very much, and that is true. I've been up most of the night. I was got up at 4 o'clock this morning. I got it, to bed at 11 o'clock last night, or 12 <laughs> o'clock, whatever. If it, if it makes you feel better, the morning news people, we understand your struggle. I, I was up at 3 a.m. this morning, so we're, we're fighting the good fight together today. But you are um, you yourself referred to yourself earlier as the perennial candidate, and you know, you've had a long, interesting history. First, at times you've run as an independent, but here we are in 2016. You are officially in the Republican race. What is different this time around? in 2016 and what made you want to jump back into the fray well actually um what made me jump back in the fray because the same problems that i was speaking about in 2000 have come to fruitation and everything i said that we were gradually going into a social state and here we are 16 years later and the perennial candidate i get interested about being called the perennial candidate i think anybody who runs from one office to another office whether it's state legislator or um senate um they are the perennial candidate. They just go into another office. Absolutely. We, we certainly see a lot of career politicians on Washington. But let's dive right into a few topics. First up, one of the big issues that is currently facing Florida, it's been a recent issue, but it's actually the Zika virus. We saw Congress uh, not passing any type of funding before heading out of town. You know, How big of a concern do you think the Zika virus is, and what do you think Congress's role should be in stopping the spread of this virus? That's interesting because um, I'll give you a little bit of background about me. I, I'm a, um, I do integrated medicine, so I have conferred with several of the, my experts that I've, um, I've dealt with, and they said the biggest thing about the Zika virus is keep your immune system up. As long as you have a very strong immune system, you should not have a problem. Now, the problem is going to be with, the, um, with pregnant women and Again, maybe the government should have some resources for it, but I think it's also a state issue. And in terms of uh, another state issue, or more of a federal issue that's actually come up recently, it's, it's been quite the hot topic, the Second Amendment. Um, following the, specifically here in Florida, we saw the Pulse nightclub shooting a few months ago. Fifty-some people died. Um, we saw we've saw calls from Democrats for more gun control. We've obviously seen pushback from the NRA. Where do you stand in terms of the Second Amendment, and how do we stop these types of mass shootings across the country? Well, I'm a very um, strong supporter of the Second Amendment. In fact, I met Charleston Heston 20 years ago and had the honor of having a picture taken with him at the British Embassy. And, and sadly, was the day my mom died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But um, our Second Amendment is the one that is our stronghold. If you look at the European countries, you look at England, they do not have the right to own guns. They are being... Um, brutalize with the uh, invasion of refugees that they know some are ISIS. You look at Australia, they're having problems that are not being reported over here as well. And I don't know if you realize, but about 10 years ago that Australia confiscated all the guns and um, basically destroyed them. Yeah, there was that mass shooting. I believe it killed 30-some people. But yeah, Australia, very difficult to get a, to get a right. bigger rifle down there. Right. It's been a Well, you can have a rifle if you're out on the farm. They will let you have a rifle, but as far as having um, a handgun, no. So um, let's get something straight. Guns do not kill people. It's people that kill people. We have knives that are slicing people's throats. We have cars and vans that are running into fairs, into people gatherings. 
So it's not that it's people that are killing people. We often see the pushback with that is um, we talk about mental health and keeping um, better mental health care across the country. Uh, how much reform do you think needs to be made in that aspect to kind of help get into the psychology of some of these killers? Well, I think it's not only the psychology. I think we need to look at um, the whole array of things. It could be neurological, neurological, as we said. It could be um, what I've said to the Florida Times Union, they, they were talking about this situation, and what I told them, that we need to look at this is a serious problem. Not only that, the mental health, I understand that Tom Murphy had legislation that was uh, for the mental health of, um, of, relative, of uh, suicides. So what I said, we, I would consult with the, the experts, but myself, I have a niece whose husband committed suicide in the military. I worked for the police department. I know police officers that have committed suicide. I was an air traffic controller. I know an air traffic controller that committed suicide. So I've come across and talked to a lot of people. But we need to look at the, uh, the doctors probably need to be trained in nuclear, biological, chemical, stress factors, which is physical and mental and radiolo uh, radiologically, I can't say that word, <laughs> but uh, which, which at, in essence, they're called the NBCSR. And we do have an epidemic that's going on, but we have to look at it from all aspects and just not from a mental point of view. There might be a physical um, or biological assessment with that as well. But you have to look at culture also. What has happened in the last 20 years with culture? If you remember in 1999, Ice, was it Ice Cube, that had a song out saying, cop killer, cop killer? And Charlton Heston actually gave a speech at Harvard University about the epidemic that was going on back then. At, there was a meeting going in with Tom Warner, and he stood up and he said, listen, I know I'll never get a job in this town again, but we have a problem here. And so when the press came up, to him, and they said, well, you know, what are the words? What are the other words? So he said the, uh, the second verse or whatever it was, and, and the media says, we can't, we can't print that. He said, that's precisely it, but Time Warner is selling it. So we talk about police and a lot of the stress that we, they go under on a daily basis. We've seen incidents now in recent weeks in both Dallas and in Baton Rouge, and just in general, a lot of tension between the police and the communities they serve. What is the role of the federal government in making sure that both our police officers and the communities they serve are safe? The police officers are state by state. The role of the federal government is for their federal officers. This is also a state issue. So what do you think they should do? The federal government, should they pump more money? Maybe it's, are we supposed to uh, limit our freedom of speech? We have a cultural problem. You don't want your freedom of speech violated, but we have an epidemic of children that have been indoctrinated, that it's all right to have improper behavior. It's all right to kill a cop. It's all right to spit at somebody. So, are we supposed to throw more money at that, or does it really begin at home? Does it begin from childhood? Well, how do we go about changing that culture so that way we can kind of, well, three, two, one. How do we go about changing that culture to promote these values at home? One-on-one. -on -one. That's how it's going to be. It's going to have to be one-on-one. We're going to have to have parents and communities. It begins at the community to, to reach the children, to reach what is acceptable behavior, reach, and to instill values of what is proper behavior. 
And so switching gears a little bit now, it's a topic that you mentioned earlier, and that is ISIS and the continued fight against terror. I know you mentioned a lot of the attacks in Europe. We've seen it in Brussels. We've seen it in Paris. We've seen it in Nice now. Thankfully, no large-scale attack on America as of right this second, but we know it's a big-time issue as of uh, it's on everyone's mind, to put it bluntly, the fight against ISIS both in Syria and Iraq and on the home front. What do you make of President Obama's strategy so far against the Islamic State, and how do we combat it effectively? For us, we have to protect our borders. We have to, it, and borders is just not the south or north borders. You have to also compact what's coming in through the airports, through the seaports. What his strategy has not worked. You have to identify what we're fighting. The problem is, it's just not ISIS, it's also jihad. We have a problem here. And first, you protect your borders, and you arm your military, and you arm your, the citizens. You can tell the citizens if they do see something to report it. A lot of these incidents that have happened, whether it was the plane crash into um, 2001, there's, they're afraid to report because they're afraid they're going to be um, labeled as Muslim phobics or Islamic phobics. I don't even know why they even say that. I really don't. If there's, if there's criminal activity that you suspect, so and the Cyprus attacks, I mean, it's just, it's just overwhelming what's going on. But first, do the simplest thing that you can do, and the first thing is protect your borders. And screen the people. Maybe we, we need to also, going back to screening the people, whether it's through a live detector tip, I hate to say that, but the other thing, we not, not only do we have a security problem, we have a health problem. We are not screening them as they were when they came in this country earlier from uh, Ellis Island type of screening because you don't know what they're bringing in as far as health. Well, so we talk about immigration reform and all that. We've seen a, a varying number of solutions. We saw President Obama's executive actions. We know that's been put on hold by the Supreme Court pending further review. We've seen Donald Trump on the other side call for building a wall across the southern border. What do you think is the best way to reform immigration? Again, the best way is to go return back to the Ellis Island screening. You have to have a security check before coming in here. You also have to have a medical check. And there has to be a need. The problem is our jobs are being affected by this as well. We need to reduce the immigration. We need to screen the immigration or the immigrants that are coming in here to see if they're going to pose a threat to us. Well, let's talk about jobs, kind of switching gears. We'll get to a lighter note now. We've seen a ton of growth in Northeast Florida. Um, Jacksonville, actually, believe it or not, is the second largest city that people are moving to in mass. We've saw tremendous growth in St. John's County as well, building three new schools recently to accommodate all the students. Governor Rick Scott, one of his big platform agendas has been keeping Florida working and creating new jobs throughout the state. You know, what do you make of the governor's efforts and how do we continue on a federal level to promote job growth here in Northeast Florida? Well, on a feather level, I've, the energy independence is, is very much the, uh, the key because we have the oil reserves off the, um, off the coast. And I know um, there has been some – let me go back a little bit. As far as the federal government, there's two main sources of, of uh, revenue that comes in from the, uh, the government. One is your federal income tax. The other is the Bureau of Land Management, and that is your energy we need more energy as far as promoting the, um, the revenues. And then that's why the gas has come down. It's not because the federal, by the way, it's not because by the, the federal government has done it. It's because it's private land that has been doing it.
And Florida is a very good place, especially Northeast. I came here 19 years ago. It's, it was one of the best kept secret. And, and I'm driving around town. I'm seeing people from Illinois, from New Jersey, from Maine. And plus, we have no state income tax. And the weather is just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I can relate to that firsthand. I'm a Pennsylvania transplant now here in Jacksonville and certainly definitely a great place to live. But another thing that is on your website that I see you're a big proponent of is the fair tax. And that that's something that a lot of people in the area are advocating for. What about the fair tax works for you? Why do you think it's the best type of tax that can be levied on the people? It's a consumer tax, for one thing. Um, and whatever you buy, you're going to be you're going to be taxed on. And as far as um, it's not the fair tax itself, as far as promoting uh, the future, we also need the debt reduction. The debt reduction is what, up to $19 trillion? So you have people that if they have a lot of uh, back to, um, uh, back to uh, the, the taxes, there are some people that are paying higher taxes. There are some people are paying lower taxes. Um, and to me, the fair tax is equitable. And so one final question, we'll get you out of here on this note. We'll just make it simple. Why are you the best candidate to represent Northeast Florida in Congress? What makes you different than all your Republican competitors in this primary coming up? Well, one of my slogans going in, I said, I'm the best candidate, not because I'm a woman, because I am the best candidate. 33 years ago, I ran, I won a landmark decision case called Cats versus Dole. I was a very private person who became a very public person. That case is taught throughout the United States. It's about individual rights. It was actually about bullying, and it was coined as sexual harassment, but it actually is about how you, we talked about decency, that you should be treated. Because of that case, it gave me the opportunity to be involved in Congress and forge relationships on both sides. I've testified in front of Congress for congressional, um, for employment, uh, correction. I've testified in front of Congress with a congressional testimony written statements about employment, about aviation safety, and about occupational health. I forge relationships on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, and I'm still involved as a private citizen. I've been calling up to Capitol Hill because they're trying to privatize their traffic control system. This is a, this is a security issue. Uh, we do not need to privatize their traffic control system. I don't know if, if you realize that some of the seaports are also contracted out. We don't know who have those contracts. So I know Washington. I'm actually from Washington. I've lived here for 19 years. My husband's a retired police officer. We came here when he became a pastor, and I came here because of the weather and because the health care is really excellent down here in Florida. So I know how Washington works. Being a federal employee, Washington does not work like state legislator, does not work like local. The budget is is. We have the budget is needs to be reduced, but the problem is the appropriation, the way the appropriations work on Capitol Hill, you have a certain amount of money to use. If you don't use that money, then you cannot ask for more money. So naturally, the money that they use, whether it could be directed somewhere else at the end of the appropriation cycle, will be used up so they can ask for money, for more money. Our debt in 1993, our deficit in 1993 was one third of a trillion dollars. We are now up to 19 trillion dollars because every year the government keeps, the, the agency keeps asking for more. Now, how can you combat that? You just don't fund it. You reduce it. There are programs that have been eliminated. There was a program called LEAP, 
that was a law enforcement education program back in the 70s, 80s, that if officers went to college, the government refunded them for the, for the tuition, not the books. That, that program is no longer receiving any funds. And you've been listening to the District 4 Spotlight here. My name is Kevin Rayfuse. This has been Deborah Caspichel. Deborah, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you. Thank you, and have a good day.